0: NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful sunny California and broadcasting all across America. Welcome to the Water Zone Show. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies, also known around here as Chris Davies. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon. I or evening, evening
1: for you. I didn't think you had a different handle. Nope, I don't. Well, at home, I answer to a lot of things. We won't oh. talk about oh, but we that on the air. Oh, we can't use that. Okay.
0: Hey, I know uh, we, have some, we have a great guest today, and um, I hope Ingi had a chance to talk to her pre-pre show and tell her that after she gets questioned, <laughs> her interview actually, uh, we we want to discuss two other topics that might be of interest. She may have some insight to that, so that would be awesome. Hey, Ingi, are you there today?
2: I certainly am, Rob and Chris. How are you two?
1: Oh great, thank you, Ingi. Hope you're the same. We're doing. Oh, we're doing. Okay. Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, I had a great day and actually uh, talked to Rob in
0: person today in Riverside. So but, that was a lot of fun. But I, may, I, I forgot to do something with you, and I apologize. What was that? Okay, I didn't show you what we got two days ago. Oh? I have, I have something from the United States Senate, Certificate of Commendation to the Water Zone. It gives me great pleasure to recognize the Water Zone for its dedicated efforts towards promoting water conservation. Water is an issue that concerns Californians from every walk of life. Through its accessible training sessions and educational programs, the Water Zone has left a lasting mark on water conservation in California. As your United, Sta- as your United States Senator representing the state of California, it is my distinct honor to commend the Water Zone's tremendous efforts and wish to program success in the years to come. Signed. Diane Feinstein. Wow!
2: Wow! That's outstanding!
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Congratulations. I'm sorry. I was so swamped this morning when you came by, and I forgot to show this to you. And uh, So this is our number 10th award. Uh, not not from them, but <laughs> now we have one from the U.S. Congress. We have one from the Senate. We have a U.S. Senate. We have from the state Senate, the state assembly. Uh,
1: three from the EPA. Two from NBC. So I think we're doing okay. And ingi the congratulations are deserved as much by you guys yes. on the Ag Show than uh, as as it is for uh, for us. Right.
2: Well, all. Thank you. Uh, all of us is you know our basic goal is to advance the water conversation, and it sounds like we're doing that. Uh, you know, Diane Feinstein. I actually met her in D.C. on an IA fly-in. We were at her office to see one of her staff and. She comes waltzing through the front door at 9 a.m., and I got a picture with her, and uh, she's a very nice lady.
0: Uh, yes, yes, she is. I um, actually had an interview with her live uh, with the Riverside Chamber of Commerce. That's how I met her in person, and then uh, her chief of staff uh, was giving her all the information about the show, and I, he said she listened to it. I don't know if that's true, but I'm not gonna <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I think he We'll did. take her word for it. Yeah, I think I think th- I think, he I think she's
2: trustworthy. <laughs>
0: <coughs> Absolutely. So we're going to let you. Uh, we're going to let you uh, take command. We're, we we are using the new microphones that I showed you today. Sounds and, great. Uh, and so yeah, we hope it, it does sound good. I mean, we went to uh, the expensive ones, <laughs> and they yeah. they look awesome, and uh, it's great. Oh, and and uh, just just a little bit before we start um, the. Uh, the company that we work for uh, is now going to, to put us in the in the i a show at the booth as a radio station.
2: I heard that they have uh, now they're going to have radio row i understand
0: well i a wants us to do that too, but Toro wants us to put a mock, a mock studio in their booth
2: oh inside the booth yeah wow. so we're oh, gonna,
0: we're going to do both
2: that's going to be a lot of fun Absolutely. we'll be able to have people uh, just kind of stop by and chat with them and be live on the air and talk about you know really exciting irrigation stuff
0: absolutely And then Thursday night we do a live broadcast as well so we're gonna be very excited so anyway turn it over to you and your uh, your uh, guest. very uh, yes I was, I was gonna give the guest the compliment but mm-hmm. I'll let, I'll let you do that
2: yes well I, I agree uh, we do have an outstanding guest tonight Natalie Jacuzzi um, Natalie I believe you're on the line yes I'm here yes uh, thank you for calling in and joining us this evening uh, so I can give our listening audience a little bit of background about you um, Actually, I met Natalie a couple of weeks ago at a a rather exciting conference in Davis um, concerning Israeli and um, uh, California scientists on the topic of irrigation. And um, I was so impressed with her. I invited her to be on the show tonight. So um, Natalie is an environmental scientist with the Fertilizer Research and Education Program, and that's a um, program uh, within our CDFA, California Department of Food and Ag. She's a senior environmental scientist and leads um, the FREP grant program in coordination with other scientists to, quote-unquote, ensure that projects pertain to research on best management practices and outreach and education related to use of fertilizing materials and nitrate loading to groundwater and surface water resources, quote-unquote. So those of who have joined the show in the past know that In agriculture, you know, our agriculture is great. It's producing the food, fuel, and fiber that we all need as humans to survive. But we have some issues in agriculture as well, and people like Natalie are helping us overcome them. Um, So the uh, FREP program funds and facilitates research to advance the environmentally safe and agronomically sound use and handling of fertilizing materials and helps the growers and the ag supply and uh, service professionals as well. Before that, Nutrient uh, uh, Natalie was the nutrient and irrigation efficiency scientist with Buchanan Associates and was doing some science work out in the field, monitoring soil and crop conditions, tracking soil nutrients at various steps, so kind of hands-on in the field work. And then prior to that, she was a field researcher with Cal State University Monterey Bay on the central coast, also doing more kind of um, in the field, you know, geeky soil and water stuff that we irrigation people do so welcome to the show natalie it's great to have you thank you so much it's great to be here yeah well natalie as we uh spoke at the conference um we know that there are very few people in general that work in agriculture you know it's a very small part of the population that that grows um all of our food um, and there's even a smaller um, sliver of those people in ag who are women. And so I'm always uh, very excited to to meet a dynamic young scientist like you um, in the field. Um, and so tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up working in agriculture.
3: Uh, so. Thank you so much for the compliment. I, I also feel the same as you. I feel like there are a lot of women who work in agriculture, and um, it's important that we come to the forefront and that we talk about it because it is our experience. And it's great. It was great meeting you at the BARD conference as well and that we could talk about these things. Um, so uh, a little bit about my background is that I actually did my undergraduate research thesis project on um, plant diversity in redwood ecosystems. Um, I originally had a little bit of a focus on um, um, on entomology, but I ended up actually going into plant identification, and that was sort of my first exposure to plant science, soil science sort of concepts. And uh, I ended up doing my, as you said, my graduate thesis, uh, my graduate thesis research at Cal State University Monterey Bay. Um, my focus actually there on my thesis research was something called Managed Aqua Recharge. I'm not sure if you guys have talked about this on the show much.
2: Um, oh, yeah. A little bit, yeah. yeah. So um,
3: what we actually did was uh, we uh, would build percolation ponds um, in, in the field, and they would be three feet by three feet by three feet, and we would uh, instrument the ponds heavily, and we would reinforce them, and then we would pump water into the ponds at a measured rate, And then we would collect all the data you know, using temperature sensors, things like that, data loggers, and then try to model how much of the water actually went vertical and how much went lateral. Um, And this was really important at the time because, um, I mean, it's always important in California, but uh, we were in the middle of a drought and we were doing um, these tests in all sorts of sites. And um, this was really the first time I actually worked with growers and we would go to meetings and we would look for volunteers who were willing to offer up their land for us to do this research and sort of uh, be in their way and growers were really willing to help with they were very much hit on the central coast with drought issues because the central coast uh, i think we refer to it sort of as water independent they're not on any they're not on the state water project and they're not on the central valley water project where i was working in the pajaro valley so growers offered up their land, and they offered up their time and, you know, some of their workers as well to help us do these percolation tests to look um, at the uh, potential for managed aquifer recharge in areas of the Central Coast. And I did this research under the tutelage of Dr. Andy Fisher at UC Santa Cruz and Dr. Marcos Huerto, who was at Monterey Bay at the time, and he is now at um, uh, Cal Poly Pomona. So uh, that was my first exposure to growers. And after oh. I graduated, yeah, so after oh. I graduated, not a lot of man shock recharge projects happening because of the drought. Um, but since I was intimately familiar with how water sort of moves through the Vado zone, moves through soil, I started working with growers on, uh, for Buchanan Associates, we were actually sort of co contractors with Buchanan Associates, um, H2 Horticulture Services as well. And so we all worked with growers on irrigation and nutrient planning, and uh, I helped serve as the mobile irrigation lab for the Pajaro Valley, for uh, the Loma Prieta RCD, and then we would also work for growers individually as um, the mobile irrigation lab doing distribution uniformity tests um, all through the Salinas Valley down to um, King City. Well, so, so, you,
2: actually, so you actually water. started with... the uh, with redwood trees.
3: <laughs> yeah, it did, uh, it did. Kind,
2: kind of in, a, in an ecosystem, uh, forestry um, environment, and then ended up in good old agriculture. Yes, correct.
3: Um, right. It was, yeah, my first exposure for plants, and then I, that was kind of where I went from there.
2: Oh, ah, well, that's, um, that's great. Now, I, I, we didn't uh, actually talk about that a couple of weeks ago, so that's very interesting. And, yeah. yes, we have been talking about managed recharge here on the show a bit. We had, um, I think Don Cameron was on... Um, Sometime last year, and he's kind of the poster child of the farmer, you know, that is trying to use the excess water that's available in the winter time recharge, mm-hmm. and then efficiently irrigate, say, with dripper sprinklers during the uh, growing season when water is not so available. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's something we need to do more of in the state, and I think we have a, a real concerted effort. Um, yeah, it's going definitely
3: manure for recharge is, de- charge is definitely a growing topic um, yeah. these days. It yeah. just wasn't particularly at the moment when I graduated, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, you've got a great role now. You're, you're in a public role um, rather than a private, uh, like with the consulting company that you were with before. So at CDFA, you're in downtown Sacramento. You're administering, uh, you know, a large grant program that uh, many people apply for to uh, fund their research and their activities. Um, tell us a little bit more about it and what uh, CDFA hopes to accomplish um, by uh, uh, expanding, expanding this money on these grants.
3: So you gave a really great summary of the kind of research that uh, FREP has funded over the years. And again, FREP stands for the Fertilizer Research and Education Program. Um, the program does fund research on the environmentally safe and agronomically sound use of fertilizers and overall, the program really wants to do everything it can to promote the economically, uh sound and environmentally safe use of fertilizers, but also really just seeks to achieve that in a variety of ways. Um, so the grant program has been around for about 25 years, and it, over those years, it has funded over 220 projects and has allocated over $17 million in funding. Wow. And yeah, it's. It's really great if you go to our website, you can actually see a list of all of our projects broken out by parts of the state and um, topics, and all of those projects really do have a nutrient efficiency component, and um, as we are talking about, its nutrient efficiency is so important and interlinked with irrigation efficiency, yep. so all of those projects do also have an irrigation efficiency component as well, whether it's just... Um, you know, measuring the volume of water they're applying or seeing if they can be more efficient with that irrigation. And uh, that's, that's really been the two cruxes of the project over time. And over those 25 years, the program has really accrued a lot of knowledge about agricultural systems. I mean, granted, agriculture in California is actually relatively fast moving. Obviously, we have crops that become really popular and then crops that sort of um change production and so we have to keep up with that as the demand changes but um, over the past few years the program has really concentrated on taking that wide breadth of research and disseminating those findings um, and then also the findings of other programs that research uh, the similar topics to practitioners and agronomists and the people in the field so not just having that research you know sitting in a peer-reviewed journal article somewhere Um, to never be read or just be read to inform the next round of research. So we really want this to be applicable to growers. Um, So in the past five years, we've been funding a lot more outreach projects. And um, we've been, so for example, a lot of this research has informed uh, something called a certified crop advisor training. And this is a training that, pulls from all that research to it has a nitrogen management focus because that is the focus of the program. And uh, it's a a one-and-a-half-day program for certified crop advisors. And once they complete this training, uh, they uh, can certify nitrogen management plans for growers all across the Central Valley. And through this program, we have trained over 900 CCAs with that focus on nitrogen management. Um, so that's been one of the outreach arms, really, um, one of the ways that we've done that. But that curriculum has also been uh, developed into um, a one, it's a half-day training for growers. And growers can go through this training now as well. Um, it's a little bit more crop-specific, so and it's also tailored to growers, so it's a little bit different. But growers who now go through the grower nitrogen management training program, can certify their own nitrogen management plans as well. And as you guys know, there's, you know, there's tens of thousands of growers across the state of California and um, certified crop advisors there on there's only about 1100 or 1200 uh, certified crop advisors. So so it's really important that we offer these services to growers as well. And uh, so over 3000 growers are now trained through this program and can self-certify their own
2: nitrogen management plans.
3: So this is um, to- Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, go, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah,
3: you had a question, sorry.
2: Well, um, this half-day uh, program, is that in person, or is it e-learning, or it online? It is in
3: person. and It is in since, person, okay. Yes, correct, and since it is a shorter program, and it is more tailored to specific crops and that nitrogen management plan, there is a test at the end, um, but our pass rate is pretty high, and we have um, really good, the trainers for the nitrogen management training for growers are... There are certified crop advisors who have gone through the training, but then they've also gone through the curriculum. We've all built it together. Um, they've built the test with us, and they've given us a lot of feedback. And we've all really worked together um, with CCAs and with, um, with you know, growers and um, cooperative extension and researchers to really develop this curriculum so that it's really tailored for growers and what they need to know uh, about nitrogen management. And so that's been, that's been really successful. And then the last thing I wanted to say more in um, what, our, what our grant program does as well is we're not just a grant program. We also, uh, in the past few years, we have partnered with uh, Cooperative Extension, and uh, most recently we partnered with Cooperative Extension and the uh, Monterey Resource Conservation District and American Farmland Trust, and we actually applied for a grant. Um, oh, which oh. sounds funny. It's <laughs> we're a grant program that applied for a grant. But what happens is that we get proposals and they have a lot of potential and they have a lot of legs and, you know, maybe they don't fit exactly into what the Fertilizer Research and Education Program fits into, or maybe, you know, they just need more cooperators. And also we can offer, you know, sort of matching funds. So we applied for a grant to do outreach and education for irrigators and farm workers at all levels on the Central Coast. With irrigation training and um, demonstration projects, so we received that funding, and we're now going into the third year of that project. So, yeah, we're mm-hmm. a grant program, but we also can apply for other grant programs as well.
2: I bet you knew kind of the inside track on how to write a grant since you probably. I I was not them. as
3: familiar <laughs> coming from <laughs> the private sector, um, but we do have. I mean, we have. Um, my my supervisor is a He, he is a CCA and he has applied for grants in his previous careers and things like that and you know we're always learning so i yeah. think it's it's good that we're also you know keeping the pulse on other programs as well because we want to improve the program as well and so that learning process is always there
2: well you're you're absolutely right there are tens of tens of thousands of growers in the state and uh you know 8 or 9 million irrigated acres that produce our food and for the whole country uh, and the world, uh, to that matter. And yet there's very few people who are qualified to help the growers manage their irrigation and water. So uh, it sounds like your program is helping not necessarily just the growers, but the service community, like the PCAs and the cooperative extension folks, uh, do the outreach that's necessary. Yes, yes, that is our goal. We want to get to everyone at
3: every level and see, see where we can make the biggest impact.
2: Yeah, well, seven, seventeen million dollars and nine hundred PCAs. That's uh, that's a good dent. But as, as <laughs> you know, uh, we we talked about that a little bit in Davis that there still is a a gap, and uh, we need to do even more because we know that um, a lot of that irrigation that's occurring today could probably mm-hmm. be done a little more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you can give some examples of how uh, grant recipients have have used the process to improve their methods or, you know, positively impact ag in general. And maybe for our listening audience, they may not even, um, we've talked about it a little bit on past shows, but uh, just review what problem we're trying to fix with this. Uh, You know, people may not uh, necessarily know that, along with irrigation, that sometimes we're leaching nutrients into the um, groundwater that we don't want to.
3: Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is the the main goal of our program is to minimize nitrate leaching to groundwater. Nitrate does move with irrigation water. It moves with water. Um, It can enter into groundwater systems, but it can also enter into surface water as well. So it can enter through tile drains. And um, our program wants to minimize those impacts to the environment. That's where the the phrase environmentally safe and agronomically sound comes in. Because um, it hurts the fish and
2: the, and the yes, uh,
3: and actually people, absolutely. too, right? Yeah. Yes, it hurts fish. It, hurts, it hurt, can hurt people. It has those potentials. Um, but also, I think, as the Department of Food and Agriculture, we really want to help our growers be sustainable into the, the future because that nitrate leaving your field, it's not a huge cost, but the irrigation water to pump and paying for the labor to, you know, pay for someone to inject that fertilizer, that's all money lost every time you lose those resources and those inputs. So it can it's a win win if you make if our our agricultural systems become more efficient over time. Right, and they have right. become more efficient over time. Yep. And growers have gotten really good at adapting and are consistently producing more yield with less inputs or the same amount of inputs, which yep. has been really impressive. And I mean I our program I can't take credit for that, obviously, <laughs> across the state of California. But I would like to, I think the goal of our project is to always have, um, and the, the, the goal of FREP is always to have some sort of long-term implications that positively contribute to agriculture overall. Um, and I just wanted to talk about some of the highlighted projects that people might be aware of but might not be aware that our program funded it. Um, and one of them is crop manage. We talked about this at the BARD conference. Um, and I don't think um, most people, and that's not the intention is that most people know that we funded it, but um, oh. it's been a really successful project that Frac did originally fund. And oh, that's it, uh, Dr. Michael
2: Kahn, uh, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. So that is oh. a tool
3: um, that was made by Dr. Michael Kahn on the Central Coast, and oh. it was to help growers schedule and record their irrigation and uh, nutrient fertilization planning.
2: Oh I didn't and, know you funded that. Yeah, that's a great program. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's talked about quite a bit and used quite a bit.
3: Oh yeah, that's that's great to hear. So so yeah, Michael Kahn, um it's it was really successful because FREP funded the original crop. So you guys are kinda of, you're familiar with it and hopefully your audience is a little bit familiar with it. Um but if you're not basically it helps you manage and schedule out um in real time irrigation and fertilization scheduling. Uh, for any crop at any time of the year. It uses soil data. It uses from, you know, Sergo, which, you know, goes through the soil web at UC Davis. Um, It also uses CIMIS data, spatial Simus, and it can give you uh, estimates of, you know, irrigation and fertilization scheduling for for each crop and even um, a lot of times sub-varieties. And it was really successful, but I think the biggest measure of the success of that when we talk about um, positively contributing to agriculture and the long-term implications is that it's been so successful that it's actually generated interest from industry. And now that the program has invested in establishing crop manage, industry members are coming to Michael and saying, you know, we would really like this crop to be offered or, you know, we would really like this crop to be added to crop manage. And I think that that's a really good proxy for a successful project is that, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that
2: agriculture sees value in it. Yeah, um, yeah it's a good problem to have, to
0: yeah.
3: have people
2: wanting um, you to do more work on it.
0: <laughs>
3: exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and they're willing to fund it, so they're willing to put their own money forth. Oh, um, and that's the ultimate demonstrated value. So Almond Board has, has come forth and shown interest. I know that the Pepper Commission has shown interest, and so hopefully those crops will be offered in the near future. And um, I think we just talked to a couple of researchers as well about adding a couple more permanent crops. To crop manage. Um, so yeah, when industry invests in, um, and decides to invest in expanding a project that FREP originally funded, I think that's um, a great example of it demonstrating value and really having a sustainable um, intrinsic value to the industry over time. And that industry has identified it, that it's going to continue to have value and continue to grow and sort of be self-sustaining. Well, you know, the um,
2: almond, the almond mm-hmm. board probably represents the largest crop uh, in the state uh, yes. in terms of water footprint and probably nitrogen footprint as well. So, um, uh, Yeah,
3: it um, and it's not for... just because they're particularly large water and nitrogen users. It's just that there's over a million acres in production at this point. Right. Um, right. So it's, it's, it's a huge impact crop. So even the slightest increase in efficiency can have um, much larger implications. Yeah, so so it's a great it's a great thing that that tool is going to be expanding. Um, I think another project that was interesting. Speaking of almonds, is that uh, recently FREP has funded a project looking at salinity's impact on root development in almond trees, um, and I think that this is a really particularly important when we're talking about irrigation, um, because uh, California is a region that does periodically go through drought and. We have many different regions that have different kinds of water quality issues, different, have different water accessibility issues, water quantity issues, um, and it can be difficult to manage water efficiency, especially just with increasing salt concentrations and also while minimizing nitrate leaching. And I think that that's a balance that growers can struggle with, understandably, is reducing your nitrate leaching while still managing um, salinity in the root zone and not trying to have those impacts because by the time it gets into the tree, it can be too late.
2: Yeah, that's um, kind of a conflicting goal. You don't want water to go below the root exactly. zone in order to uh, safeguard uh, runoff water or the groundwater, and yet you need to leach salt mm-hmm. out of the root zone. So how do, <laughs> how, do you do, how do you get rid of the salts but not the nitrogen? Um, yes.
3: Really yeah, it's, tricky, a, it's a really tricky. difficult challenge, and I, I remember working with growers on this. It's, it can be very difficult. Um, and so this project really looks at um, what is the tolerance of these trees? And also, how does it really affect the root development? Because that root development, if we can understand that, will eventually translate to yield. It will translate to tree development. And hopefully in the long term, we'll have a better understanding of what this tolerance is. And potentially, um, this is a very ambitious project, and and we're all rooting for them, that they're going to have some best management practices for really how to balance that. Um, in almond trees, but then also even looking at a couple other crops. Um, as well, because, you know, permanent crops um, can behave different uh, similarly. And yep. this is another project that also has been funded by other boards who caught wind of it and said, oh, we want to know what this does for our crop as well. Wow. So um, this is another really successful project that's had some demonstrated value. Um, well,
2: those, and are, then, those are some mm-hmm. great examples.
3: Yeah, and then I think the last one is the fertilization guidelines. I think that's the biggest thing that our program is known for. It's uh, These are guidelines that have been put together uh, for 29 crops, and they provide nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Uh, they're guidelines for nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium fertilization for those crops over the course of their life cycle or b- over the course of their cropping cycle. Mm-hmm. And our fertilization guidelines now cover over 80% of irrigated agriculture in California. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so yeah. they're really comprehensive they're based on literature reviews of peer-reviewed research that has been done in california or similar climates and the most valuable thing that i show growers or or anyone really who whenever we're discussing our outreach materials is that there's nitrogen uptake curves, and uh there's and it has it on again nitrogen phosphorus and potassium there's deficiency symptoms it's a really comprehensive uh a description of each of these crops and, and management based on peer-reviewed research. So that, I think, has been, been a really successful successful project as well and is continuing to grow. Um, obviously, as we start to get into the smaller crops, with each crop addition, it's not like, oh, this was 10% of the acreage. It's like, oh, this was 1.5%. So um, we could we could grow really quickly initially, but as we add more crops, um, obviously, the progress will slow a little bit, but will still be hopefully impactful and, and positive for agriculture
2: well I mean what what do we grow here in California? Probably three hundred plus crops, and you know twenty nine yes. is maybe a tenth of them, but I bet it represents most of the acreage because
3: yes, yes, but still we i mean that 's the goal is yeah i think it's with the number that we circulate is usually over four hundred crops um so and i I wouldn't argue with that i I completely believe that we grow over four hundred crops, um, but yeah, the acreage um can be can be much smaller as you go through. Um, so yeah, these guidelines
2: are—it's probably kind of like a prescription, you know, for farmers. Yes. How much does do peaches actually use in the um, on the east side per year, so that we don't over-fertilize? I mean, I think you know the tendency is for people to use more. You know, if a little is good, then more is better. And actually, that's not true, but it's a myth. But um, people do that and they over-fertilize. And uh, so here we have guidelines now that can help direct people.
3: Yeah, and that can actually that can happen, and then um, the opposite can happen. I think there was a research project that was funded where they were using crop manage in the lower central valley or central coast, and they found that crop manage actually recommended more nitrogen for some of the strawberry growers who are growing it. So it can go either way because sometimes it's a cost to input, um, and you don't want unhealthy crops as well. So I think just being more informed overall is good, and this this is based on peer-reviewed research. But obviously, every grower should make their own decisions based on also, like, their experience. Sure. You know, they know their land the best. They know sure. their crops the best. They know their soil the best. And,
2: but it's nice yeah. to have at least
3: a starting point and, and a starting point for that decision.
2: Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Same with an irrigation scheduling recommendation. You know, it's exactly. a starting point, and then we go monitor and look and see what the crop is actually doing and, it's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. reacting the way we wanted. Well, those exactly. are some great examples. Thank you. Thank um, you. Um, I'm going to dig into your website a little bit more and uh, <laughs> discover even more. <laughs> yeah, but I, I can't I want- tell you the age of
3: You can have a grower who has a few thousand acres that they're responsible for. Um, they're growing an assortment of crops that can be in the ground anywhere from 45 days to two years. Um, so it's a constant struggle to fit moving pieces in. And there are always a million things happening on any farm. And not to mention, you know, other pressures. Market demand, timing, land leases is also a major difference as well, um, labor and regulations. And so the list just goes on. So I always went on to farms knowing that and knowing about those and trying to be perceptive and respective of those, um, of those issues as well. And so really the role of myself and my, my co-contractors and my co-consultants was to help growers in any capacity that they, they saw fit. And um, when it came to their their fertilization and water use efficiency, um, so I think the biggest um, strength that we had was that we had a willingness to be in the field with the irrigators and with the growers and with the farm workers at all levels, and really just helping them one on one with these issues. Because if you see it, the grower who goes there every single day also sees it, and they know when they might just be they might just be overworked, or the irrigator might be overworked. And I think taking the time and slowing down really was a strength for for our team. And I think that just having that ability to listen and to work hard, because farming is really hard work, yes. and really <laughs> respecting that and being willing to put in, you know, those long days. I mean, I know that myself and my co-contractors would go out in the morning, you know, sometimes at three thirty, four in the morning, and we wouldn't be done until the sun went down at 9 o'clock at night in the summer. So. Yeah. It was really about, I think, having the ability to listen to what the growers wanted and then the growers identified and identifying what they wanted help with. And myself and my fellow consultants were there to assist, so we had a really good swath of, of sort of expertise. Um, I worked with Marcus Buchanan, who is a Ph.D. agronomist and very knowledgeable about um, many, many of the Central Coast crops. And he had pretty much worked with almost every most of the Central Coast growers at one time or another um, over, over a long period of time. And I also worked, I learned everything I knew from Michael Johnson, who is an irrigation specialist. Um, he's h 2 Horticultural Services. And he had worked in irrigation for over a decade on um, landscape irrigation and ag irrigation. And he had really been in the field and he had repaired every single irrigation system <laughs> like you could even imagine. Like, you yeah. know, we would get out of the truck and we would go repair an irrigation system that wasn't even on a field that we were working on because <laughs> that stuff happens. Yes. Um yeah. and sometimes we did honestly just get jobs because someone saw us in a neighboring block being like, Those people are super muddy and they're they're willing to get out of their truck and go repair this line that's broken and is spraying everywhere. Yeah. Um yeah. so really just taking the time to really be thoughtful and listen and and have the expertise. And also, we don't know everything. In fact, we don't know most things. So a lot of these growers are overworked, and they know what they, what they need, and they know what they need more time for. And like you said, a lot of times it can be the irrigation system. And growers would call us, and they would say, my field's looking funny, and I don't know what it is, but you know, let's, let's see if it's the irrigation system. And a lot of times it was, whether it was insulation or whatever, you know, tape that was out of spec. But I think that that's a good service is to put growers, um, give growers peace of mind that they have someone that they can call yeah. when when that kind of stuff goes wrong. Because, you know, I think a couple of times they would say to me, I don't, I don't know what I, who I would call if it wasn't you guys. Like I don't. Yeah, you know. and
2: you may not know the answer right away either, but at least you are knowledgeable about the area and give somebody. For them to talk to and work it through exactly. with them, yeah, yeah, exactly. You and a lot of the conversations together.
3: were that they were just yeah. us working through. We would be sitting there staring at a sump, four of us saying, "Where is this water coming from?"
2: Yeah, and we would just <laughs>
3: stare at it. And so that was that was something that I think. Um, and then one of us eventually figured out, "We'd be like, oh, this is transport time. This is obviously coming from here or whatever." But it was it was having that time with the grower to think and brainstorm and listen. And honestly, that was a lot of the skills that I learned. I mean, obviously, I have a background in soil science and hydrology, and I have a lot of that technical skills. But I really think I just leaned on my ability to listen, my ability to anticipate the need and really just learn from others and because you know growers growers need needed help and they wanted assistance, and they just didn't have the time to do it, some of the stuff because it's it's a very demanding, very competitive. Um, system on the central coast, and so yeah. Well, and we can't ex-
2: and, and we can't expect growers to be the experts at everything. I mean, no. there's dozens <laughs> of things that they need to know about, and they can't be the experts in irrigation and fertilization. So uh, they need specialists, just like they have accountants and mechanics and other people. So exactly, good exactly. Good you guys for for helping them out. Well, mm-hmm. we have just a couple of minutes left, and. Oh, sorry. Um, um, yeah, it's fascinating. We might need to bring you back, um, but um, Rob and and uh, Chris, I think have.
0: Um, no, we'd like them. We'd like Natalie and you to stay on the line because I yeah. have I have a topic. Actually, two two quick questions that might lead to a, a few minute discussions. And I'm really impressed. You were, you were playing her down. She's more than outstanding. Yes, I, yeah,
2: <laughs> oh, and she's That's too nice. And, and we can also say that she's outstanding in the field. doing... Um. <laughs> 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 we, always have to, we always have to play on that joke. Uh, so uh, do we have just a couple more minutes um, for Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Go ahead. I have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. go, go ahead. Yeah, we'll like and then we'll go to commercial, then we'll come back and we'll uh, do the rest.
2: Okay, cool. I would love to know, um, Natalie, your impression of that BARD conference, the Binational Ag Research and Development Conference that we both attended a few weeks ago in Davis, uh, where both um, scientists from Israel and California got together to try to tackle some of our well, not tackle, but uh, exchange information about our common water issues. What What were your top takeaways from the conference? The uh,
3: I I actually tried to go through my notes on that conference, but, and it's too many to even <laughs> summarize in three days. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's three days worth of conversations, and I think um, you and I were in a lot of the same conversations where we were just you know jotting down notes. But um, I think you've sort of touched on it. It was a great that conference was a really great opportunity for researchers and cooperative extension and farm advisors and industry um, to really come together with representatives from Israel and talk about uh, regional water concerns, larger larger scale water issues, about quality and quantity. Um, We learned about technology and research that's that's helping to address a lot of these issues and just agricultural issues in general. And I think we learned a lot about Israel and them growing a lot of the similar crops Um, And also being a semi-arid climate, they have a lot of the similar irrigation systems. Um, They are small, but they do face a lot of the similar issues to California. And I think we can have a lot to learn from each other, and we can have a lot of productive dialogues and brainstorming. And that's what a lot of those three days were. Um, So I think in the three-day summary, I would say overall, it was I think a theme was that in a lot of ways, agriculture is doing a really great job of being efficient and wants to be better because there's really always room for improvement. And agriculture has been improving over time, and there's always that space for that. And um, it was also, I think you touched on it earlier, that conference is a great opportunity to start a dialogue between professionals to solve these issues, um, and that we really just can't remain in our own silos. We have to continue to have these conversations across across industry and state and researchers. And there's a lot of pressures coming on agriculture from different directions. And I think that that even now more than ever, it's really important that we work together to just reduce redundancy. And we're all working towards being more efficient or helping growers be more efficient irrigators that we work together on this rather than, you know, in our own aisles Um, and, not just that we face a lot of the same issues with Israel, but also a lot of other countries that I think we can look to to um, maybe not solve issues in the same way, but at least get some ideas and open sure. a dialogue. And sure. that was just really enlightening to me um, that we talked about that. And I think, again, it's just solidified that we have to be having these conversations more often. And so, This sort of inspired me, my biggest came home message is that, I mean, I always, I joke that I think I say the word irrigation 45 times a day, but (laughs) I came back and I I think now more than ever, we have an annual conference um, to present our research and um, have researchers come and also industry as well to talk about uh, research that we funded and then also more applied aspects of fertilizer management. And this year, we're going to have a panel discussion on um, irrigation efficiency on farms and irrigation technology, and a lot of that is because of the connections that I made at the BARD conference and a lot of those conversations that we had. And so I think that there's that's that's a good initiative that I took, and I think that I'm not the only person who took that away from that conference. I think a lot of people... Um, found good spaces for collaboration. Obviously, I wouldn't be talking to you if I didn't go exactly. and be able to, you know, pontificate about irrigation. and. and you wouldn't, the be, on the, you wouldn't the be on the water
2: zone tonight. That's right. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, I think this is such an important conversation, and, and I do, you know, I don't want to stay in a silo and just saying irrigation over and over again. I want to lean on the strengths of other people and, you know, their networking and their knowledge and just know what else is out there. And I think that that's going to take a lot of effort. And I think that I think we're well well primed for it. And I think that that was a really good start to that whole conversation. Um, and well, just we as researchers and technical support need to be more more facilitative in that discussion.
2: Really. Well, there there you have it. We need to be cross functional in the field, helping the farmers, and we need to be um, looking at other countries, other states across the world to um, have these conversations and. All these problems now that's exactly what that conference did in my view too and australia has um similar issues but has different solutions so well um we could we could talk more and more but i know rob and uh chris have some other topics and i think we need to go to commercials so thank you natalie and i hope you can stay on the line because chris does have some very interesting things that he's going to talk about the last 10 minutes
0: Welcome back to the Water Zone, and uh, I appreciate Natalie staying on with uh, with uh, our best friend Ingi. Uh, a couple couple things. Uh, you know, what's interesting to me, and I was telling Chris about it. Uh, years ago, I worked for another company, and we made smart controllers. And they had a, a sod farm business, and they wanted to know how come on part of the part of the territory that they were growing grass that it was doing really really good. And, in fact, much better than the other side. And what was interesting, on one side of the sod farm, they had power lines, high-voltage power lines. And I was going to ask Natalie and or Inge, have you ever been involved in any kind of experimentation or testing to show how, and, and, and I'm, elect, just so Natalie knows, my background's electronics and physics. So I'm very interested to know how the, how the electricity in the air above the grass or crops Can affect the growing of vegetation.
2: I can't. Oh, sorry. You should go because I actually am familiar. No, I'm I, i, I I'm stumped. Rob, you stumped me
0: for <laughs> once. Oh, you owe me a $50 gift card now. <laughs> no, so I owe
2: you lunch next time I'm in Riverside. No, that, that's Natalie, oh. do you have any idea how uh, power lines over crops? Uh, I, yeah, I did work with
3: sod growers. They were not near power lines.
0: Oh. <laughs> so okay. Well, there's a new thing. Uh, we'll go to a different subject then. Uh, it's called plant tattoos, and I was reading something from a, a – maybe you guys read it, it's called Successful Farming, if anybody's ever read that. And Iowa State University uh, plant scientists are working with a low cost graphene based sensors that can be attached to plants. And the technology measures the time it takes for, for two kinds of corn plants to move water from their roots to their lower leaves and then to the upper leaves. And the information gathered is to provide new types of data to researchers and farmers. So. What's, what's exciting about that, once they can measure something, they can begin to understand it. So, they first discovered this in 2004 where graphene is made from honeycomb sheets of carbon and it's just one atom thick. And its properties are exciting researchers because they are strong and stable, thin, almost completely transparent, they're extremely light, and an amazing conductor of electricity and heat. And so I know everybody's trying to develop sensors that are more lightweight and cheaper and very still high performance. And so they they take this uh, process for fabricating the intricate graphene patterns on the tape, and, and they create indented patterns on the surface of the polymer block, either with a molding process or three D printing. And then they apply a liquid they apply liquid graphene solution to the block, filling the indented patterns. Patterns. And that way, they when they remove it, they the excess graphene then acts as the sensor. it Acts as a strip. Have anybody? Done anything with that, or know about it? And I think that's kind of a good thing to do because it's it's hard to really tell, tr- you know, how much water is being used or or transpired, uh, except by calculations and other ways. I think I'm not an expert like you ladies are in that area. Like I said, my background is electronics and physics, but Chris or anybody can.
1: Well, I think the you know the the goal here or the challenge has been to measure transpiration through a plant, right? Right from the root, how does how does water move, how fast, how efficiently through through the plant from the roots? Up to the uh, lower leaves, and then up to the higher leaves, right? So, and,
0: and it's got to be different from plant to plant. Yeah,
1: from for for the different crop, for the different time of year, for uh, the soil that it's in, sun exposure, wind, solar radiation, all sorts of things affect that. But the basic measurement of how water moves in a plant is, uh, you know, has lots and lots of different a- applications in terms but, of but helping do, farmers. But doing it at the source is the, probably the best. Right. So in the in the past, you know, there's been there's been uh, a lot of science around that, but they've measured it with uh, you know making like 20 samples of plants and having them grow and then measure the uh, the differences volumetrically up through the plant structure itself when you do that you have to cut the to cut the plant apart to either measure it, weigh it, or, or, or some somehow um, define quantifiably what what's in the structure of the plant. This new technology, as you described it better than I ever could because of your <laughs> electronic <laughs> background, um, you know, what this does is allows us to put sensors in all parts of the plants so that we can measure that transpiration of water throughout the plant while the plant is alive and growing without having to destroy the plant to take the measurements. That's the advantage.
0: I, I I think this would, would help this, the theory of, of irrigation and how much you really need. I mean, to take this data and put it into some sort of algorithm and put that into a smart controller I think would be advantageous to the, the farming industry. Is that, is, that, is that a goal of what like you see, Natalie, and, and Ingy?
2: Well, Natalie just mentioned a, a program called Crop Manage, right. which I think would incorporate theoretically what the plant's using through the CIMIS. Project And then, you know, farmers will have various instrumentation in the field to, you know, verify that, that that's correct. And I was just thinking, as far as plant-based measurements that farmers are using today, there are two that I know of, the uh, Thule that gives the plant measurement and also a pressure bomb. Right. And, and then there's ways to test water in the soil and then just weather-based. But so what I'm understanding is that graphene is like testing... I mean, sensing at the molecular level, uh, you know, more than one plant sample like a pressure bomb would. uh, And I I don't, you know, I guess if they could make it work, that would be fantastic. I don't know how it's communicating the data back to civilization, you know, to to, to read it. But uh, I don't know, Natalie, have you ever heard of using graphene for irrigation moisture monitoring?
3: I have actually never heard of that. I, I also am just familiar with Thule and uh, pressure bombs, and we have funded research on both of those. Um, oh, and I okay. think the hindrance on those is that again, with that irrigation scheduling, it's having someone in the field to take all of those samples. So you hit on a good point that could you know that we often talk about in our research is um, how you know how, how can this get to a point where we can be applicable to a field where it's not too um expensive for growers to implement because that really is what something that matters at the end of the day to growers and uh, you know any technology that can increase efficiency is great and then we always just have to think about that bottom line so anything that's cost effective is is great
2: but we have not we have not worked with anything like that no. so far. Who, know, who knows maybe you're going to get a grafting uh, grant um, hit your desk sometime soon hmm. well, <laughs> they're <laughs> so out there all
0: yeah. this is, all this is so interesting to me i mean i never thought i would really want to know about this stuff but i do
1: i mean i mean i like the science portion of that so yeah. anyway rob,
2: we're, rob, rob i think we're rubbing off on you you are. You
1: are. Oh, it's an awesome disc. Uh, awesome discussion tonight, uh, yep. Natalie. We, uh, Rob, and I were glued to the headphones. Absolutely. In fact, we can't get them off.